0: Good morning, my name's Chet, I'm one of the pastors here. We're in the second week of our Give series, and uh, every year around Christmas we have, since we first planted this church in 2013, um, we have taken the time, 2012, taken the time to uh, intentionally try to give uh, some money away around Christmas to push back some on uh, the, just kind of the cultural tone of consumerism that we're handed in life. And so we want to intentionally try to rally ourselves to be generous. And last week I got to say from the stage one of the most exciting things that we can say as a church, which is uh, a young lady from our church has committed her life to the call, at least committing for the next year. But she's devoting herself to uh, mission work among an unreached people group in uh, Lebanon amongst the Kurdish people. And so we are excited to get to support her in that and get to rally around her. We, the, earlier this year, we showed y'all this map, and we said that uh, we live right now where there are more unreached people's in the on the globe than at ever ever before at any time in history there are more people who do not know Jesus than ever before and that the red is a bunch of unreached people groups the the there has been no gospel penetration into their culture and that's a problem but that we're distinctly set up as a church to be able to participate in the work the Lord is doing because there are three not one but three mission organizations that actually uh, are on the third floor of our education building over here that are in the the 1040 window and i'm working among unreached people groups and this summer jamie kern who y'all might know in life or you might recognize from this slide that you've been seeing uh if you show up early enough to sit in here and see it um so all four of you know about that slide and um she did an internship between us and 1040 hope and um She, sorry, am I, do I have like a boom thing going on constantly? Is it just getting on my nerves? (laughs) Can you have your your hand held? Um, She, oh, thank you. Yeah, this is Spencer Carey. Thank you, Spencer. Everybody give Spencer a hand. (laughs) Is this better? All right, so I'm going to have to keep this on my ear because it's going to dangle and get on my nerves, so. I'll just keep it on my ear. I'll have two mics. It's going to look awesome. All right. She uh, she did a joint internship between our uh, church and 1040 Hope over the summer, and then she went to Lebanon for the past three months where she's been trying to learn the Kurdish language, where she's been working among the Kurdish people, and she's been investigating the call to be a full-time missionary, and she has committed to that, and so we get to support. And so what we said we're going to try to do um, is raise $15,000 for a vehicle. There's a picture of... of Her doing some work. Uh, Yeah. Oh, there we go. For a vehicle, there we go. No, it's I don't know. Things are happening now. (laughs) All right. So we're uh, gonna $15,000 for a vehicle for her to use for the next year while she's there, and uh, a year's worth of support. So we're wanting to raise $15,000 now to buy a vehicle, and we're wanting to to pledge $29,225 for a full year of support for her. And so we're gonna get to talk more about exactly how to do that. But we're excited to get to do that, to get to participate and what the Lord is doing amongst an unreached people group, and for her to be able to be over there and help get more missionaries over there. So it's an encouraging thing for us. And so at in our gift series, we want to push back some. By intentionally giving our money away, we want to push back some on what our culture tells us about how to think about money. Because there's a couple of things that our culture gives us that it's just assumed. One of them is, one of the ways to tell how well you're doing in life is how much stuff do you have? How nice is your stuff? So that when we picture ourselves in the future, a lot of times uh, there's no like personal growth. I just picture me, but richer. And that's like, yeah, look, I'm doing well. Like if you let me look ahead into the future, is my house bigger? I'm doing great. Like that's kind of how we've just been taught to think through life that we ought to have more money, more stuff, and that if we have more money and more stuff, then we'll be happier. This is like a cultural uh, agreed upon reality. The other one is that we are, uh, that what we consume defines who we are, so that this type of person wears this type of clothes. Real men drive this. Uh, Real men eat red meat. That there's some sort of like consumption turns us into things, like real moms like you buy Jeff or whatever. (laughs) Like we just have this. If you partake in our product, you make yourself into a certain type of person, as if somehow eating and wearing things turns us into a thing, develops our character. But we just have this as a cultural thing, and so what we do in our gift series is we say, let's open our Bibles, and let's see what what the Lord has to say about how we handle our money. So grab your Bible and go to Luke chapter 3. We're going to read a passage that I think uh, you're probably familiar with. If you've read the, the Gospel of Luke, you certainly are. It's... Um, John the Baptist preaching. And I think in general we read this and we just keep on moving. It's like John the Baptist is the forerunner to Jesus so run through what John the Baptist says and let's get to Jesus. And I think there's potential for us to have read this, for you to have read this, for you to have heard this before and for us to have missed one of the things that he says that I think is very important for us to see. So we're going to read through this, we're going to walk through it today and we're going to stop in this section that I think maybe we've read before but haven't considered and hopefully it's Corrective and challenging and encouraging to us uh, as we consider our finances and joining together uh, to be a part of God's mission and giving some money away. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for how good you are. We thank you for the love and the grace and the kindness that you've shown us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jamie Kern and the work of your spirit in her. And all those like her who surrender to your call to go to hard places to deliver wonderful news. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bless her work, that you would bless our endeavor to raise support, and that you would call more people to go wherever you send them and surrender to you so that more people might proclaim the name of Jesus and love you and be loved by you for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in Luke chapter 3. We're going to go through the first 18 verses. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iteria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, Okay, all of that is just to timestamp exactly when this happens. It'd be like if you were talking to a Carolina fan a couple weeks ago, and and you asked them, you you weren't familiar with the Carolina-Clemson rivalry, and you asked them, is Carolina any good? Like, do y'all usually win this? And they had to answer, the last time we won this game was at the beginning of the second Obama administration. Like you just timestamp things so like I remember what gas was during the Reagan administration it's that sort of thing and so I don't but people do <laughs> that sort of thing and uh, that's what he's doing is he's saying it was during the reign of all these people at this time and then he gets to what he's wanting to say which is the word of God came to John the son of Zechariah in the wilderness meaning that John becomes a prophet he begins to speak God's word He begins to proclaim this, and he does this in the wilderness. He doesn't do this in a well-populated area. He just starts proclaiming it in the wilderness, which I always wondered how that started. Like, he's in the wilderness. Was he just going for it, and then someone heard it and was like, I'm going to go get more people? Or did he just find the first person he saw and start proclaiming the word? I don't know. It doesn't tell us. But he's in the wilderness, begins to proclaim the word. But then people start to come to him, and it says this. And he went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So they had baptism. They had the idea of baptism as like an initiation, right? The Pharisees would baptize people. You would actually baptize yourself, so you would go in, you would wash yourself. It was a baptism where you basically washed yourself and you said, I'm committing to this. But he does a baptism where he's baptizing people, and it's a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And this is... New, And it's wonderful. Because the Pharisees, who were the primary religious teachers in this area, their message was, be good. And if you're good, here's how to be better. Here's how to be intentional with your being good. But if you've been bad, if you've sinned, if you've run away from the Lord, sorry, it's over with for you. There was no real, here's how to come back, here's how to get out from being cursed, here's how to repent, here's how to turn from that. And so when John begins to proclaim, have you messed everything up? I've got good news for you. You can repent, you can turn from that, and you can be forgiven. And this is good news, and this is new. Not new, the Old Testament had times like this, but this is new for these people, for them to begin to understand that what God wants from them is that they can turn away from their sin... And they can turn to the Lord. And so he begins to proclaim this baptism of repentance. And repentance is saying, what I've been doing isn't working. What I've been doing is sinful. And I need to be changed. I need the Lord to forgive me. I need to, basically what I have is a bunch of mess. And I need that taken away. And I'm going to turn from it and start doing what I'm supposed to. But this is opportunity for forgiveness and repentance. And so people start coming to him. That they could be forgiven of sins. It says, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. So this is the fulfillment of the prophecy that John's doing. It says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So John is proclaiming a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins, and he is the forerunner to Christ. And when Christ comes, he's going to proclaim repentance, and he's going to call people to faith in himself, that he is the Christ, he is the one to come, and he's going to call people to believe and have faith in himself. And then Jesus is going to die to seal our forgiveness. And he's going to rise so that he secures for us what John proclaims, which is that you can be forgiven of your sins. Jesus accomplishes that in his death, in his burial, and his resurrection. So that when the message of repentance and forgiveness makes it to us, it's confirmed and sealed and made possible by the work of Jesus. So that today, if you have not repented and been forgiven, you can be message still applies to us that you can say, I've made a mess of things. I am a sinner and deserving of wrath and justice. If God brought justice down on me, it would not be good. It would be harmful to me in my sin, and I need forgiveness, and it's offered to you. The message of John is offered to you and and accomplished through Christ. So that's what John's doing. Verse 7. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Which is a bold strategy when you're preaching. Maybe we should start starting off. Instead of when we we stand up and say, we're so glad you're here, we believe Jesus is better than everything else, we say, you snakes, why are you here? (laughs) Who told you to come here? It's like, ah. Uh, and I feel like if I was there, I almost wonder if someone was like, you, you did, John. You're the one telling us to flee from the wrath to come, right? Like that's why we came to you. But it seems as if there are some people who are coming out to see the spectacle. That there are people who are just showing up to see what he's doing. We know in other, from other Gospels that there are Pharisees showing up just to kind of question him, like, hey, what are you up to? And they're not actually there to flee from the wrath to come. They're not actually there repentant. They're just there to see what's going on. And so it says that he says this to the crowds that came Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? And then he's going to give them two commands, one reason. He says this, verse eight Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. So his command is bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So bear fruit would be have this show up in your life. So if you said, I've been working really hard at learning a new language and it's just now starting to bear some fruit. Or we've been really trying to crack into this new market, and it's just now starting to bear some fruit. Or I've, I've been working out and exercising for a year, and it's just now starting to bear some fruit. What you mean is, it's just now starting to show up. You can, you can tell. It's, it's beginning just like if I planted a tree, and it's just now starting to bear some fruit. It's now doing what I wanted my apple tree to do this whole time. And so what he says is not bear fruit, period. He says bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Meaning that they genuinely turn from their sin. Asked for forgiveness, that comes first. And if that is real, then all he says is, look like it. Look like you've actually surrendered to the Lord. Look like you've actually asked for him to work in your heart. Look like you've actually turned away from your wickedness to him. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And then he says, and do not say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you the truth, God is able to, from these stones, raise up children for Abraham. He says, no, you repent, you turn from your sin, and then you grow in light of that. And don't try to recount your record as to why you're okay. So if we're bearing fruit and keeping with repentance, what we're doing is we're looking to God and we're saying, because of who he is, because of the forgiveness, because of the grace, therefore I live this way. But if they're looking and saying, well, I'm a son of Abraham, so I'm fine, I'm already in. Then they're looking at somehow their track record their place in life and they're saying this is what makes me okay and he just says no so i think one of the ways that this might translate to southern culture is i'm a christian i grew up in the church i'm a christian i was baptized when i was like 11 10 or 11 but there's no evidence of the work of christ in our heart there's no fruit In keeping with repentance. I've had people say before, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Uh, My dad was a deacon. Okay, show me that passage. I was talking to a guy I played football with in high school. I said, uh, we were talking about something. I said, are you a Christian? He said, yeah, man, I'm black. It's like, I might be in trouble. But are we basing it off of something other than I've surrendered to the Lord and then out of that it shows up? That's what he's saying. So don't bank off of something else. Don't lean into something else other than looking to the Lord and his grace and his forgiveness. So he keeps going. He tells them why. Verse 9 Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. All right. He says you don't want to get this wrong. And here's what we need to understand this morning as we consider this. We are saved by grace through faith, not our own works, so that no one may boast. That's our memory verse this this month as a church. We're saved by grace through faith. It's not our own works so that nobody would boast. So what we have to understand is it's not bear fruit so that you might be saved. It's surrender and then look like that's happened in your heart. And that matters. It matters that we don't get that out of order. But it does matter, if you remember us walking through 1 John, it does matter that it shows up. It does matter that it's actually real. It's not just something we say happened because if it actually happened, it begins to show up in the way we live. And so one of the ways that we can know whether or not we're really in the faith, we can't get in the faith by bearing fruit, but we can know whether or not we're in the faith by seeing, are we bearing fruit? Am I growing? Is my love for the Lord growing? Is my love for other people growing? And that's what he's saying. Don't trick yourself. Don't say, well, I'm saved by grace. Therefore... I can act however I want, do whatever I want, it never has to show up. He's saying, that's that's not how this works. All right. They ask what I think is a very reasonable question to ask. Verse 10. The crowds asked him, what then shall we do? This is a fair question. He says, bear fruit, and I'm telling you, if you don't, it's going to go bad. If that isn't showing up in your life, if you're not actually repentant, this is going to go bad. So they say, well, what do we do? And he answered them, this is verse 11, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? Which, by the way, tax collectors coming gives you an indication of how wildly wonderful this news is. Tax collectors are hated. They've committed treason against the people of God. And repentance is open to them? It doesn't just mean people didn't like to have to pay taxes. It's way worse than that. They were helping the Romans occupy the holy land, the promised land. They were enemies, and they're coming and being able to be forgiven. So if you've told yourself, I'm too far gone, that is incorrect. This is wonderfully good news. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and what shall we do? These are, these are Roman soldiers getting to partake in repenting. And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation. And be content with your wages. Now, did y'all catch that? They ask, what does repentance look like? And he says, let's talk about your wallet. And I know some of you are like, just like a preacher. But see, John knows something, as he's empowered by the Spirit, that Jesus is going to say later. Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew 6.21 and 6.24. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So they asked John, what does repentance look like? And he knows this. If you've actually surrendered your heart to the Lord, if you've actually turned from your sin, if he's actually going to work on you, it's going to show up in the way you handle your money, and your stuff because your heart has changed your treasure has changed your allegiance has changed John says faith shows up in your finances belief is in the budget repentance has receipts I had fun writing this (laughs) just trying to help you remember it that's what John says that it's going to show up in how you spend your money and what you do with your stuff. So all of these marks of repentance that he gives are possession-based. So let's walk back through them and let's consider what John is telling us. Crowd said, what should we do? Verse 11, he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. John says, genuine repentance, genuine faith, shows up in you being open-handed with your possessions. That you would not accumulate a bunch of stuff, and that you would actually be intentional about finding ways to get rid of a lot of your stuff. That's repentance showing up. That that's true belief showing up. Whoever has two tunics, he doesn't say, you're not allowed to own a tunic. He doesn't say, you're not allowed to eat. He says, if you have enough food, good, eat. And be generous to those who don't have enough food. If you have enough clothes, good. Be generous to those who don't have enough clothes. That in some ways, you need to understand that you might be blessed beyond your ability, beyond your need. And that isn't so that you might have more that just sits around. That's so that you might deliver it to those who need it. That you've been entrusted to something that actually isn't yours. It's not for you to keep, it's for you to deliver. The the Grubhub guy is not supposed to eat your sandwich on the way to your house. The the pizza guy can't be like, here's your pizza, and thanks for the breadsticks. That's not how it works. You're supposed to care for it and deliver it. And there are things that you own part of your paycheck, things that are in our closets that aren't ours, aren't meant to be. That's what John's saying. That as we believe, we'd set aside portions of our budget to just walk out the door for others. I think Jesus is going to talk about that as our treasure moves, that we would care about the kingdom and we care about the kingdom first. So I think this is generosity to the poor. I also think it's um, intentionality in kingdom things. That Christians would find ways to support missionaries. Christians would be supporting their local church, but also Christians would be helping things like Goodwill and his house thrive. Goodwill helps people get jobs. They help sell things at a lower cost because all of their Stuff they get is free. Same with his house. His house helps uh, men in our area uh, get over alcoholism and have a place to stay. And so these are the sort of things that we would be intentional about. That's his response to everybody. He says that. Then he, verse 12, says, Tax collectors also came to be baptized by him and said, Teacher, what shall we do? And I love that because it's genuine. It's a genuine repentance and a genuine what should this look like? What do we do? Not a what do I have to do. But what, what does it look like for me? Have y'all ever been in a situation with a new believer and you're just talking to them and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, what next? What else are we supposed to do? Hey, I was hearing this thing. I read this thing about I'm not supposed to do that. Is that true? Yeah, okay, cool. I'll stop. It's wonderful. And that's what these tax collectors are doing. Okay, what does this look like for us? If I actually get to be forgiven, that's wonderful news. And what does that look like? How does that show up? He said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and what should we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or, false, or by false accusations. So I want to hold those together because I think they're kind of similar. He says, one of the ways that repentance shows up, one of the ways that faith shows up in how we handle our money is that we aren't doing things that are wrong to get it. We should not be gaining money by sinful means. We shouldn't be greedy. We shouldn't be lying. We shouldn't be cheating. Don't extort people. And I think in general, we're like, right, yeah, okay, makes sense. But I think one of the ways that we need to consider this is what are the things in your industry that are common practice? Because I think tax collectors would be able to say, well, that's just how collecting taxes work. I collect the taxes I'm supposed to, but I also collect my own revenue. And I think the the soldiers might go, yeah, but that's just how all soldiers make sure they can pay their bills. It's just normal. And I know that every job I've had, there were things that to me seemed iffy. And everybody said, oh, no, that's just how it's done. And I think that you ought to consider, prayerfully, what are those things? I used to work in sales. I don't know if y'all know this about salespeople. They lie to you. If you meet a salesman who knows every answer to every question you've asked, it's likely that they are a liar. But you sell more stuff if you do that. I used to work in sales. And people ask you questions that you do not know the answer to because the people whose product you're selling don't tell you that. Where is this steel manufactured? What's the horsepower on this Kenmore dryer? Was this Kenmore dryer made in Pennsylvania? I don't know. I work part-time here. But if you just say, yes, do you have family in Pennsylvania? Yeah, well, it's probably made right near where they live. Boom, sold. How are they going to look it up? If you don't know how to look it up and you work here, what are the things? Does it have to do with how people clock in and clock out? Does it have to do with some sort of honesty thing, some sort of integrity thing? Is there something that everybody goes, well, that's just how real estate works? Oh, that's just, everybody knows that's how retail works. That's all all the waiters and waitresses do that. Everybody in finance does this. Because I think all soldiers did that and all tax collectors did that and John says if you're repentant you don't do that. And I think it's worth considering because I think a lot of it has snuck up on us. You were trained to do it by the people who taught you how to, to do what you're doing and you actually have to consider what are the things that are common practice that are normal that I actually can't participate in. But then he says this to the He adds a thing when he's talking to the um, soldiers. Verse 14. Soldiers also asked, and what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations. And be content with your wages. How much money do you make? Good. Be happy with that. Are we all ready to go home and do that? Just how much money do you make? That's a good amount of money to make. Live off of that. Be content with it. Be thankful to the Lord for providing that amount of money to you. Find a way to be generous inside of it. I think we are trained in and all accept some level of perennial discontentment. I need a a little more. Honestly, Most of us, and this was going to work better when I wasn't holding a microphone, I'll have to do it like this. Most of us make this amount of money, and if we're doing what we're supposed to, as we're taught by everybody around us, we spend this amount of money. If you are currently spending this amount of money, we have a financial team that we'd like to let you talk with. They will help you with that. But most of us make this much, spend this much. We figure it out you live here sometimes it's tight sometimes it's harder sometimes there are things you go without but you in general we we live every once in a while you're in a spot where you can't and inflation has been hurting us and if that's for you right now we also have people in our care system that will help you walk through that and we can actually help provide and we ought to as a church It's, it's not a bad thing to come and say hey I need some help right now but in general under normal circumstances this amount this amount and what usually happens is over time we start making this amount So we start spending this amount. Then we start making this amount. So we start spending this amount. And that's normal. And we're like, that's good. That's how you're supposed to do it. He says, be content with what you make. Not to say, I don't think this means Christians shouldn't take promotions or Christians should never swap jobs. But if that's all you're ever wanting to do, And if you're only content with a new promotion for three months or five months, and then you got to get to the next one, you got to get to the next one. And there's this general idea that I'm supposed to just keep going. He says, be content with your wages. Live inside your means and be fine with it. Now, what if, because we're Christians, and we were making this amount, and we were spending this amount, and we, we were living... What if when we started making this amount, we just stayed here? Maybe moved up, but let I, mean, I think it's okay to buy stuff. The Bible says it's not like you can't enjoy things. But what if there was this gap where we were just freed up to be generous? I think one of the questions for us as we look at this is, does all my income terminate on me? Does it all just come back here? Or did I set an amount of generosity a while back and I just like, this is how much I'm going to give away and that's just kept going, but my income has gone way up and my generosity level just kind of stayed the same. I hadn't taken advantage of the Lord giving me more so that I can give away more. It's just kind of been set. Does most everything just come back to me? Is it mostly just lifestyle upgrades every time the Lord blesses? I think we look at this and we say, okay, if my repentance is supposed to have receipts, if it, if is supposed to show up in my budget, then I think as Christians we should sit down and there's a couple of things that should come out of this. I think we should review our budgets. I don't know when the last time you did that was. I think you should look down and try to actually figure out how much money do I spend? What does that mean I really value? What does that mean I really love? I think we ought to excitedly start making some decisions and going, you know, instead of getting in a $600 car payment, I'm going to get in a $300 car payment. Instead of getting in a $300 car payment, I'm going to get in a $200 car payment. Or I'm just going to keep the car I got. I'm going to pay to fix it. And then I'm going to use that gap. And I'm going to be a part of reaching people on the other side of the globe. I'm going to get in, I'm going to take advantage of that gap that I've created intentionally and I'm going to help people sleep inside in downtown Columbia who this winter wouldn't have been able to. I think we need to review our budgets. I think we need to revisit our closets. I I think we need to just go in there and say, how many tunics is a reasonable amount of tunics for me to own? How much stuff should I really have in here? And resist the American urge to when we've cleaned it out, go, ooh, now I can put some more stuff in here. But intentionally try to think through what? What can I get rid of? What can I live on? How can I simplify some things? I think we need to consider how much money do I spend on entertainment? How much money do I spend on extra things that I don't need? How much money was given away this past year versus how much money was just for me to enjoy? So I think we should review our budgets. I think we should revisit our closets. I think you should ask, what are the common practices in my industry that I am not allowed to participate in, that I ought not to? And I think we all need to check our contentment level. I think we need to take seriously the be content with your wages. Take our heart before the Lord and go, Lord, I, I make enough money to survive. Help me with the fact that I don't feel like that's enough. Help me with the fact that I, I actually inside of this should survive and should give some things away, but I'm I'm frustrated. All right, verse 15. As the people were in expectation and were all questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. To clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. When he says he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, I think as he describes that further, that he'll gather the wheat into the barn and he'll throw the chaff into unquenchable fire, I think we're meant to understand that we will be baptized either with the Holy Spirit or with fire. That the eternal reality is one of those for everybody. And so for Christians who know Christ, who have repented of our sins, who have been forgiven, and who are filled with the Holy Spirit, how much more generous should we be than just the tax collector who walked away that day? How much more generous do we get to be than just the soldier? How much more content do we get to be than the person who at that moment did not yet have the Spirit, who was getting only the beginnings of this? How much more do we get to say, Lord, work in me? I think there's a danger for us as a church because we do this every year for us to start developing a pattern of paying the Holy Spirit hush money around Christmas. Well, how much do I have to give to get the conviction off my back so that I can go right back to forgetting about this and operating like all my neighbors? And the the truth is, We're missing out on bearing fruit that lasts and enjoying the gracious generosity of our God and getting to participate in what he's like as he gives to others through us. And how much joy do we miss out on? And he says... His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. I think you need to hear this. If you believe you are a Christian and that has not touched your wallet, you might not be a Christian. If you believe you are a Christian and that does not show up in how you handle your finances, You have to believe that the Holy Spirit is at work in you because you're a Christian, but he has no desire to work in that part of your life. But I don't think you can back that up from the scriptures. And if you have 15 reasons right now why you don't have to give to anybody, why I give of my time, I give of my energy, you know, I did this thing last year, or I do this, or things are tight right now. The reality is that if you talk to anybody in America, most everybody says things are tight because of how we do our budgets. We keep it tight. And if we've gotten in the habit of just figuring out right around now, how much do I have to give so that I don't have to feel bad and so I can participate in whatever the thing is, and it's cool and I'm excited about it, but really I don't really, I wouldn't do this if it weren't for this, and if we weren't really, and I think we need to consider the work of the Spirit in our lives. And consider whether or not our hearts have actually been surrendered to the Lord. Because I think that's what John's telling us. Verse 18. I love this verse. So with many other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people. I love that because as an American, I kind of am going, what was the good news? Because that all sounded really intense and rough. And then the Bible says, isn't that good? And it actually is. It's wonderful news that there's a Savior coming who forgives sinners. It's wonderful news that there's a Savior coming who will bring justice on the wicked. And it's wonderful news that rather than him just bringing justice on you, he offers you repentance and forgiveness. And it's wonderful news that he is then willing to use us to be his agents in the world to see wonderful things continue to take place. That's good news. That we have a Savior who will redeem sinners rather than crush them. And we have a Savior who will crush sinners so that ultimately we either receive grace or we receive what we deserve. And that there's an offer of grace to us. And then we get to participate in something that is eternal and glorious and beautiful and lasts. And we actually get to bear fruit that lasts. That's good news. Let's review our budgets. Let's revisit our closets. Let's consider the things that take place in our industry that we probably should not participate in. And let's see if we can get our hearts to rest in the Lord so that we might be content with what we have and look like absolute freaks in the United States. To the glory of Christ and his eternal kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would go to work in our hearts, that we would bear fruit in keeping with repentance to the glory of your name. And your son may you be at work in us in jesus name amen band's going to come back up and we're going to sing and by the band i mean raz and isaac